Hey, what's up? It's Gary, and this is your new episode of Hop Talk, the Hopped podcast where we sit down and talk craft beer with some of our favorite people in the beer industry. In today's episode, I'm hanging out at Farfield Beer Company in the city of Lawndale ahead of their one-year anniversary with their founder, James Bardeen, and head brewer, Bryce Lawrence. Farfield has kicked off its first year with a bang, showing a lot of polish in the branding, the taproom space, and most importantly, the beers, in a way that you really don't see in a lot of freshman year breweries. Talking to James and Bryce, I really wanted to dig into the story behind all of that, figure out where they come from and how that impacts what we're experiencing with their brand today. And honestly, they're both super cool dudes with a strong love and appreciation for beer and community. And every beer I've tried has been awesome. I'm really stoked for their anniversary party coming up on Sunday, July 31st, and seeing what they have up their sleeves for year two. So without further ado, let's dive into my conversation with James and Bryce of Farfield Beer Company. All right. Well, let's kick this off with a cheers. Cheers, Great absolutely. Cheers. Great to see you guys. Yeah, it's good to see you too. Thanks again for coming by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's a beauty. Good stuff, man. Yeah, so that's a session, basically a session Italian Pilsner. Nice. It's, it's like 3.7%. Super light. Brewer's beer. Exactly. Right? Absolutely. Session Italian Pilsner. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's something that yeah. I feel like. Italian pills was already attractive and then knock off a couple percent ABV. And that's like, shit, man, that's, yeah, that's it right there. I was a little worried. Like, I'm like, I hope there's still like some flavor and stuff left in it. But I mean, I think it's kind of deceiving. It tastes a little higher than that. I wouldn't guess it's so low personally, but uh, yeah, yeah. Pretty happy with how that turned out. Yeah, totally. Great body on it. Like session beer. Really nice. What, uh, what was what's the malt bill and hop bill on something like this i mean it was pretty much all pilsner yeah pilsner malt um i think i tucked like a little bit of like caramunic in there and then uh um yeah for the hops it was all german hops uh pearl sapphire and lorian Mm -hmm. so yeah pretty simple straightforward beer this is a different pills than we normally use, right? Uh, yeah. What do I use for this it's one? Like Aris, Aris uh, yeah, it's like the Wireman. They're like Ericlea Pilsner Ericlea, malt. Yeah. So it's actually grown in Italy. Oh, nice. Like in like that Mediterranean climate. Yeah. So it gives like these nice little like honey kind of undertones to it. For sure. Yeah. So I've been using that one for, I used it for Bada Bang and then I used it for this one as well. Nice. Yeah. What's this one called? Uh, we're calling it Hyperlink. I really, when did you, uh, when did you package this? We released, uh, two weeks ago tomorrow and we did it as a collab with, um, Bradley's liquor Okay, over in Tustin. Nice. I don't know if you've been there or not, but they're like directly across the street from Tustin Brewing Company. Got it. So I'd been delivering some beer to him and then we just kind of got to talking and really nice guy over there. So nice. It's like, Hey, would you guys be interested in, in doing this thing? Like I've loved the beer you've had so far. I'm like, sure why not yeah so he kind of broke out some beers i went over to his house and we just like talked about kind of like what he was looking for 
and uh, he gave me some samples of like pilsners he liked and uh, just kind of went from there that's awesome yeah yeah you guys i mean just kind of observing over the last year collaborations have been part of i don't i don't want to call it strategy but part of the identity so far like you know it's we're not muscling this out on our own altogether like there's been some really cool um synergy with other brands like a bradley's um and i saw the recent um broad street yeah Oyster. broad street yeah. Oyster yeah. Company. yeah yeah stormy seas yeah yeah that's been, cool yeah that's been a really fun collaboration um to work with them on i mean they they provided us um, some oysters uh, to be able to put into the beer that they serve um all the time i think the ones that we got this time were were some atlantic oyster, uh, oysters uh from massachusetts, yeah, massachusetts right. yeah and uh i mean it's it's been it's been fun to to work with um folks over at broad street and they're and they're they're also expanding and and growing um over the last year too so they're That's opening cool. up two new places here pretty soon so um yeah so the collaboration thing is it an intention like what's the thought behind that is it we're seeking these out and we want to make this a part of what we're doing or has it been serendipitous or is it a mixture of both i think it's kind of a mixture, yeah, of, a mixture both. of both um you know collaborations are 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 great just because it it brings in the community yeah right so uh we both come from a homebrewing background and that community is kind of baked into homebrew clubs and going to festivals and and all that kind of stuff and brewing together at each other's homes um and uh we wanted to kind of do the same the same thing so when when uh two vectors align together and and uh, that's you know that's happened with uh, Broad Street and with uh, with Bradley's, and then we've also done a collaboration with Project Barley as mm-hmm. well. Uh, Freeway Friends, that was a really fun beer to make, and mm-hmm. and uh, more collaborations in, in in the works. Just haven't uh, we haven't started brewing those yet? Mm-hmm. It's still on talks and everything, but yeah, collaborations are a really fun way for us to um, you know go out of our own comfort zone sometimes and to learn new things and. Similar to what we were doing on the homebrew end. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was, I was going to bring up the same point too, like with the homebrew stuff. It's just, um, you know, that's kind of how it is in the homebrew scene. Like everybody's kind of getting together and trying each other's beer, sharing ideas. So it's just like, I don't know, it feels really natural to do, yeah. to do the collab things. There's always, there's always something to learn. You know, you never know everything about brewing. I mean, there's so many ingredients, processes, um, you know, everything, just different techniques, different equipment. So yeah, it's, it's been fun. Yeah. Looking forward to doing more of them. Yeah. It's cool to see. So, you know, I like to start these things just like as organic as possible. So, uh, people tuning in have kind of like got a little glimpse of just our own natural conversation, but we do have two, three voices on this podcast. And just so that we can differentiate them a little bit, uh, why don't both of you guys kind of just, who are you? What do you do here? All right, I'll start it <laughs> off. Uh, my name is James Bardeen, and uh, I'm the owner of Farfield. Um, myself and my wife, Reagan Bardeen. Um, we, uh, it's been a uh, kind of a pet project for us for, for a long time. And, and uh, um, you know, the initial, initial stages of Farfield uh, grew out of um, when we were living in Wisconsin. And, uh, and then we decided to move back to L.A. and we we're putting together our business plan and 
thinking if it was going to be the right thing for, for Los Angeles. And, and, uh, and I was like, you know, I know this guy that I used to homebrew with or used to be in my homebrew club when we used to live in LA before yeah. moving to Wisconsin. I wonder if he'd still be interested. I wonder if he'd be interested in, <laughs> in doing something like this. So on to the next person. Yes. Yeah. So my name is Bryce Lawrence, um, head brewer here at Farfield. Um, as James mentioned, we met at our homebrew club and he approached me about brewing some beer for him. Um, so that, that kind of came along pretty unexpected. Um, I, I had a very solid uh, civil engineering job for 19 years that I was doing. Um, I was really comfortable there making good money. So um, it was quite a decision process. It's like, <laughs> why don't you come on over and make less money? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as everyone knows, you know, brewing is usually not the most uh, lucrative career. So it's kind of a, you know, labor of love, passion project. But, um, you know, the opportunity was there and I felt like, you know, when's, when's the next time that an opportunity like that's going to come around to basically have a head brewing position kind of land in my lap and be able to have all that creative freedom brewing my beer. Um, so I think I thought about it for, I don't know, maybe three, four months, something like that. We met several times over some beers and, uh, ended up deciding to pull the trigger on it. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was probably what, four, four years ago that, um, we decided to go for it. And then, you know, a couple of years of planning and talking and build out and then, uh, yeah, coming up on the one year anniversary. So we've been, been open here for about a year. So yeah, I'm glad I did it. It's been really fun so far. So can't beat it. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so we're sitting here, um, uh, I guess, upstairs from the tap room. Um, Farfield, located in Lawndale. Um, another brewery, and a new brewery. You know, we're one year in. Uh, what is Farfield all about? Is there, what's like kind of, if someone asks you that question, puts you on the spot a little bit. What what's the identity of Farfield and uh, what do you guys want to be? Yeah, sure. So I'll, I'll answer from from my and then Bryce can go from from his perspective on the, on the uh, the beer side. So yeah, we're uh, we we live my family and I we live uh, less than a minute away. Oh, so, nice. So uh, um, one of one of our identities is Farfield of Farfield is is that we want to be part of the very local community so uh Lawndale doesn't have any other breweries although Lawndale is, is pretty tiny yeah it's only two square miles um and uh and you know there's definitely a lot of other breweries in the south bay but we f- we felt like this particular area needed needed their own needed their own brewery and their own kind of uh, brewery identity um and then the other the other part of of farfield that we wanted to bring in was the um, creative, um, side of our homebrew background and, and brewing the beer that we, we love to brew. So that's West coast IPAs, uh, lagers, and then sour beers. So my, my passion is sour beers. That's, that's where I, um, that's where I put most, most of my effort into other than, other than the business and financial side, um, do all the barrel aging stuff. And, and, uh, unfortunately that takes a, a while right for for them to be ready 
Um, but we're getting closer. And uh, so that's, that's going to be really exciting when we have our, our sour beer program out, out and up. Um, we're going to be having some clean sour beers coming, coming up here pretty soon in a couple, actually a couple weeks. Um, but uh, yeah, so community, uh, local, extremely local community, and uh, and then the you know passionate uh, homebrewing background beer. So, nice. Yeah. Any uh, thoughts to add from a beer beer program perspective? Sure. Um, yeah, I think I've been pretty lucky so far. Um, like James touched on, it's all for us here. It's all about the community. So you know, I wanted to go into it. Of course, every brewer wants to just brew you know what they like to drink, mm-hmm. styles they like to drink. Um, but kind of went into it with an open mind, like, hey, let's let's brew a bunch of different stuff, which I also love to do too. You know, dabble a little bit in all sorts of styles, and then just kind of see what you know the response is to those beers, um, what people are drinking the most of, and then kind of make some changes from there. Um, yeah, you know, my, my favorite styles like West Coast IPA um, and lagers. So just kind of very well atten- attenuated beers. Um, not too much sweetness in there. No real pastry bombs, anything like that. Yeah. Um, so I think we've seen the community respond, especially like with the lagers and things. Those always are a quick sell here. I think people are really enjoying those. So um we're trying to make some transitions in the brew house too, as far as equipment goes to allow us to be able to, uh, make more of those loggers and, uh, not, not clog up our, our production, um, at the same time. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that was something that we were a little bit surprised by was the shift from the, uh, customers to, to the more of a logger, um, customer. Yeah. So, and, and I think that that's been, out in industry for maybe like a year or more, two years or so that people are just drinking more lagers now, especially craft lagers. It's, it's uh, cra- pretty crazy um, that uh, craft lagers are becoming such a big deal when, you know, like 10 to 15 years ago, people were just like <laughs> really dogging on any kind of, any kind of lager that was like three to 4%. Right. right? Yeah. It was like IPA all the way, IPA do or die, you know, yeah. like, uh, want all those huge, huge flavors. And now people are like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm good with a, I'm good with a craft Pilsner, or, you know, German Pilsner, Italian Pilsner, you know, something on the lighter end, whatever. Um, yeah. So that's something just like Bryce said, is we're, we're changing up because we, we purchased our brew house to, to be more ale centric. Mm-hmm. And uh, loggers take quite a bit more time if you want to do them right. And uh, Bryce is pretty meticulous, so he wants to do them right. And uh, so we're going to be getting some loggering tanks here pretty soon. Awesome. Yeah, that was something that was on my kind of list to ask you guys about because I have noticed that from you guys as well. Like the loggers coming out. Um, fantastic, by the way. Like Really great stuff. Um, but as someone that's seen new breweries open up and historically you know i guess over like the last 10 to 15 years year one they tend to avoid that for this the reason that you're talking about efficiency um turnaround time uh the inability to hide flaws like just like for from an efficiency standpoint and like just a fear standpoint or whatever um 
they've done, you know, newer breweries have shied away from it um, and maybe done like a blonde ale, something that's a little bit more like um, easier for them to pump out and quicker. Right. So, and you guys seen that uptick and I think you're right. The craft community has a larger appetite for it. Um, people are more willing to pay a premium for a lager rather than, oh, I can just get a cheap, you know, whatever American domestic mass produced beer. Um, but what would you say is that the driving force behind it? Is it confidence? Is it the lack of fear? Like, you know, like as a brewer, you, you have to have some of that in putting out some of these beers. And uh, what do you feel like you have that? that yeah, no, out? totally. Um, it's definitely a little nerve wracking, um, especially year one going into it. Um, I, I don't know. I, I've always been pretty confident in my, my beers, um, you know, getting a lot of great feedback from friends and family. But that also only goes so far, you know, like, you know, are they really telling you what they think about the beer? Right. You know, so, you know, I, I just always try to be hypercritical of my own beers and really take the time to like sit down, taste the beer, think about what's going on in it. Um, and then just be really meticulous in the, in the process. I mean, there's, I wouldn't say there's anything too much more difficult about, you know, brewing a good lager than an ale is just making sure that you you follow the right practices you know especially you know uh yeast yeast cell counts mm-hmm. and you know uh nutrients and your water chemistry things like that um so all all of that i was i was paying attention to while i was home brewing um so i kind of carried that over to the brewery here and it ended up you know i think launching us in the right direction for sure yeah. yeah, I think we've got a good collaboration between Bryce and I because, you know, he's way more meticulous than I am on the brewing side. So that's absolutely perfect for, for a head brewer to, to have, right? And I'm probably, uh, he's probably a little bit less, less uh, or more risk averse mm-hmm. and I will handle more risk. So, so I'm always kind of like pushing Bryce to maybe like j- <laughs> jump out maybe a little bit more. Um, which can get us into, you know, into other styles or, you know, produce, you know, rather than saying, all right, we'll just do like a half batch of this. No, no, no. We're going to, we're going to go for the full thing. I trust you. You've got it. Um, and, uh, I think one of the benefits for us is we, um, we've really focused on our, on our yeast health because that drives so much of your beer flavor. Yeah. Right. And uh, if you don't have your yeast health right, then you can run into ser- some serious problems. So Bryce is super meticulous about um, yeast counts and pitch rates and making sure that we're, we're not reusing. If we're going to repitch, then we're not, you know, we're double checking everything, uh, making sure we're not going to use some, some yeast that is, you know, maybe viable, but, you know, isn't, isn't the greatest, whatever. Um, so... That, I think that's really been able to drive um, the quality of our, our loggers, especially. Yeah. 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 And unfortunately that's a pretty pricey, you know, if you're getting fresh pitches from the lab right. every time, uh, if you're doing the proper pitch that can be pretty pricey. So that's, it's a little, you know, I try to break it to James in a nice way. But, uh, <laughs> hey, you know, we got a $1,200 uh, logger pitch coming up or something like that. Um, but 
like you mentioned, being able to uh, harvest yeast and build up your own yeast is really important and critical, uh, you know, from a cost standpoint. So that's something we've been working on the last few months is, you know, to, you know, the first six months we were, I think, pretty much exclusively doing fresh pitches on every batch. Um, so now we're, we're starting to get that side of things dialed in and uh, even some local breweries kind of helping us out when we need to get a fresh pitch of yeast. So nice. that's a really cool thing about, you know, the beer community is everyone's really, really open to that and uh, welcoming of it. So that's, it's been cool. Yeah. The, the LA Brewers Guild, being part of the Brewers Guild has been just awesome. It's really yeah. helped us out in m- multiple different facets. Um, so everybody's generally pretty helpful um sharing uh brewing practices you know how you know we ran into this problem uh you know on whatever doesn't doesn't matter so it's it's been uh it's been super helpful yeah you know when i was before i left pulling up google maps to like see where you guys are located and kind of just like zoom in and seeing the breweries pop up around you guys and then zoom out a little bit. And basically you can draw this like radius, like this 20 minute drive radius around you guys and hit a lot of different breweries, right? Like there's a good amount. So kind of the newcomers to the South Bay, um, you know, you're talking about the collaboration. I feel like, you know, is it, is it, so what is competition? And I'm putting that in air quotes, like competition, other breweries around you, what does that do for you personally? Does it does it drive you? Or are you kind of one of those people that and like motivate you? Or are you one of those people that's like heads down? We're doing what we do. We don't really need to look around and see what's going on because it's rare. But you do see other you know other instances of people that are like ultra competitive and like territorial and things like that. So I don't know. Like any thoughts on? I know you're the newcomer, so you can't get step on anyone's toes. But <laughs> what what does that do for you from a motivation standpoint, at least? I mean, it's a balancing act. Yeah, definitely. Right. You, you know, we're, we're the new kids on the block, you know, we don't want to, you know, take anybody off. And, uh, but I think what Bryce mentioned before is that, you know, we, we've got to brew the beers that we like to brew. Yeah. Um, first, right. Those are the things that we do really, really well. Um, and then we, you know, once we see the, how the markets marketplace is, is, uh, you know, veering us off into a certain direction, then just kind of dive into that, dive into that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, looking at all the other breweries around here, there are certain um, niches that, you know, certain breweries are, are not hitting. And uh, so it's, I think it's important for us to be able to find those spots um, and then do those well. Yeah. 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 I was um, going to say, you know, it seems like even the local breweries, I mean, I think the closest ones probably, couple miles away from us but even in that short distance i feel like you know their customer base might be totally different from what we have here and uh you know everyone does certain beers well and uh, a little different so i i personally haven't noticed any competition per se right um so more more friendly and yeah at least that i've noticed so far it's been really really good and fun yeah, I mean that's what you that's what you like to hear, and yeah. I feel like you guys both coming from that homebrew background, it's it 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 paints your outlook in the professional environment too, right? Like when you're homebrewing, obviously there's competitions, but it's so friendly and collaborative, yeah, and, absolutely. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I, I can see how that kind of carries over into the commercial side too. Yeah. And I mean, you know, luckily all of our, um, all the other professional brewers that we've been talking to around here have been, been pretty receptive to us. I mean, they haven't, at least as of yet, they haven't seen <laughs> us as a, uh, you know, somebody trying to put them out of business or anything. Yeah. I think that, I think that everybody still realizes that there's plenty of market share for, for everybody. And yeah, it's getting tighter. I mean, you know, we've got like whatever, hundred breweries in LA County or something like that. Right. There's still 10, 10 million people. Yeah. So, you know, the town that I came back from in Wisconsin, we had five breweries in a town of 70,000 people. So that's still more per capita than here in LA. So there's, there's still plenty of beer drinkers out there for everybody. This episode of Hop Talk is brought to you by Hilo Liquor Market. Hilo is one of the best craft beer stores in Southern California and is our personal favorite spot for grabbing beers to go or sipping on a flight at the tasting counter. Their beer buyer Chase has pretty impeccable taste, and he is legendary for bringing in some of the most exciting, under-the-radar, hard-to-find, hyped-up breweries in the country. Not only are you going to find the latest releases and monthly staples from some of your favorite local spots around SoCal, but you're also going to come across some breweries you've only heard about from all different parts of the country. One of my favorite parts about Hilo is the convenience factor. They've got shops in Culver City, Long Beach, and a brand spanking new one that just opened up in Costa Mesa. You can order online to pick up or take advantage of their local delivery option if you're not feeling like jumping in the car. Personally, I actually like going into the store. They've each got this really cool modern design aesthetic, super helpful staff, and a really welcoming environment that makes shopping for beer just an incredibly enjoyable experience. Stay up to date with all of their latest inventory on Instagram at Hilo Beer, and the next time you're looking to restock that beer fridge, hit them up. You will not be disappointed. Hilo, drink well. This episode is also brought to you by Malibu Brewing Company, a brand new brewery and eatery coming to Malibu this summer. Their beers are already out there and they are delicious. From their First Point IPA and their Wild Grove Hazy to their Canyon Rosé Lager and their Pacific Gold American Lager, all their beers are just super dialed in, incredibly drinkable, approachable as hell, and just damn delicious. And from everything we've heard about their food menu, it's going to be just as amazing. The Malibu Pub is coming along nicely, and I cannot wait to check it out. It's been a while since I've been this excited about a brand new brewery, and it's been super refreshing to drink well-made, beer-flavored beer with the good people at Malibu Brewing Company. For more info and to order beers, hit up brewmalibu.com. Thank you to Hilo and to Malibu Brewing Company for supporting local independent beer media like Hopped. We couldn't do what we do without sponsors like them. So if you want to keep the good beer content coming, please go out and support our friends at Malibu and Hilo. Okay, let's get back to the podcast. One of the things I wanted to ask you guys is about the name. So when we're talking... We're talking neighborhood. We're talking community. We have far field uh-huh. in the name. It's a cool name. Uh, 
what is what was the the origin behind it? The origin story. Yeah. All right. So I, I'm guilty of the origin story. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, this, is, this is all genes. Yeah. So so my background is electrical engineering. That's I, I still actually do that as a day job. So I work at the Aerospace Corporation just down the street in El Segundo, mm. and uh, my specialty is antennas. So within antenna design and engineering and measurement, we talk about the far field performance of the antenna. So the uh-huh. far field gain. Uh, when my wife and I were getting everybody's feedback and all the different brewery names that we had come up with, this is back in 2018, actually, I think we still didn't have a name nailed no, down when, no, we didn't. when you had signed on, yeah. Um, we sent it out to all of our friends and family and we we're like, whether there's like five di- five or 10 different options of names. And a lot of people came back with the far field as being number one. And uh, we we're like, oh, that's cool. You know, what's, what's the reason why you like far field? And they said, well, we actually like it because you guys are in LA, but all of the agricultural products that are going into your beer are all coming from far away. Uh-huh. And so that was their connection um to the beer name was actually we were far from the field from everything that was coming into interesting the beer. okay so so i kind of liked bo- both of those two stories you know my background being in ten engineering and then also you know just people's assumed perspective and uh so that's that's why it's called far field okay cool. yeah yeah i dig it i think one of the things that um i was thinking about when kind of like reflecting on you know, or preparing for this conversation and just reflecting on like what I've experienced from Farfield since you guys kind of became public, right? Opened up during the pandemic. Um, and that's always uh, a wild ride. Super fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you guys opened up for pickup in March March of, uh, 2021. Yeah. And then, the tap room opened in July, right? Mm-hmm. So walk me through like the decision. I mean, I you can give us some of the details about like the logistics behind why timing had to work out that way, but what'd you learn in that time period of getting that feedback and uh how did that did that change anything? Did that make you feel like double down on some of the decisions you were making? for when July approached and you guys actually opened up, like what was that like meeting the community and that being your first foray into, Hey, we're far field. We're brand new. What was that like for you guys? I'm going to let yeah, you go first right. on, on this. Umbrella. I mean, at least from like a brewer's perspective, um, it was like a good little short kind of in between period. Cause at that point we were still fully under construction. Um, the brew house I think we had the brew house, but it was not hooked up. wasn't functional. Um, our pad was all torn up in there. So I was essentially brewing on a really nice homebrew system, mm-hmm. uh, doing like one barrel batches. We had three, three, one barrel fermenters. Um, and then we were packaging off of those. So it kind of gave me a nice little, like small step up from some recipes I'd brewed in the past to do a little bit of scaling on it. Um, and to see what the response was and how those beers turned out. Um, and I think you touched on it too, like just, just being able to start to get the word out. Um, you know, we'd have our gate open. We had, we had a lot of people just kind of walking down the street and they'd kind of just hang a detour and 
come see what was going on in here and ask questions and all that stuff. So that that was really fun to see um, some local neighborhood people, you know, like, hey, we live right behind the brewery. Um, Just wanted to see what was going on. Um, So it was fun sharing beer and doing things like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, opening a brewery during during COVID is not super fun, especially with all the rules and regulations that they had for specifically for breweries because we didn't have uh, since we were not a, a bona fide eating place. Right. So, um, so it necessitate and, and also during COVID construction delays because of different contractors yeah. getting, getting COVID. And so then pushing things back. And I mean, that's typical construction anyways, but it would just, you know, it was worse than normal for sure. Um, uh, so that's, that's kind of what, drove most of the decision to not being able to get the tasting room open, um, beforehand. Uh, and, uh, luckily, uh, you know, we were able to, to work with the uh, city of Lawndale and with ABC to, to let us, um, uh, do the brewing, um, early on before the tap room was even ready mm-hmm. and, uh, be able to release some beers. And, and just like Bryce was saying, you know, it, it helped us work through some processes that, that, uh, we hadn't quite done before. I mean, I, I brewed on a commercial scale before, um, but, and Bryce has n- limited. Yeah. Uh, hand, I brewed a handful of times yeah. on commercial scale, you know, winning homebrew competitions and that sort of thing. whatnot. Right. So. But it, it really helped us nail down our canning actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was a big one. We've gotten multiple responses from folks that were like, well, you guys do. I mean, our canning line is still very manual. Right. Yeah. It's a two head semi-automatic manual uh, filler that we use. And then we hand seam everything just like with crawlers. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've gotten multiple responses from, um, from folks um, at both at liquor stores and at um, uh, other accounts that are saying that, uh, holy smokes, you guys have only been open for a year and like all your cans are like perfect. We've never had any, any issues with any kind of low fills you know, under carb, over carb, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's actually been, that, that actually was pretty key because we had the same, yeah. Yeah. same can filling set up, um, back then. So even though it takes us a heck of a lot longer than, uh, a lot of the folks around us, our quality is still, still really great. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. cool. Were you nervous at all, uh, putting out beer initially being like, this isn't, we're not, on our system yet like yeah. this isn't like really who we are but like yeah. know, this absolutely. is our first impression yeah. like yeah I, I was nervous as hell yeah, I mean. yeah. <laughs> it's frightening yeah, yeah. but ultimately like, yeah positive decision like you guys it was positive things gained from that oh yeah yeah I, absolutely because i mean when you're a home brewer and you hand somebody a beer that you made whether it's bottled or canned or in a glass they didn't have to pay for it right right, right. and now all of a sudden you're like you got to give yeah. me money yeah. for Every, this beer. Everybody likes free beer. Pretty yeah. Much. Everybody right. likes free beer. And, uh, when you start charging, charging for beer, that's, that's when you start getting, uh, getting opinions back, back yeah. to you. So, uh, yeah, that, that part's a little nerve wracking, but so far, so far, so good. So, yeah. And I, yeah. I think another part too, where we were super blessed was, um, our graphic design, mm. uh, side of that yeah. with, the, with our cans and, um, even getting the construction going here, um, good friend of mine sean who's now our uh designer he does all our artwork and logos and website keep up um 
you know, he, he's been awesome. He's super creative coming up with all our, a lot of the names, um, names are kind of collaborative, but he, he comes up with a lot of the names and then puts the artwork together for him. And, uh, we've gotten a lot of really positive feedback on our art. Everybody loves it. And, uh, and how co- cohesive it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I was gonna we, say, like, we do have even, differences from, we do have different styles within, within our brand identity, but, um, it's all, it all still has a cohesive. Uh, cohesive look to it and yeah he's yeah. been really really important it's super that. smart launching a new brewery in 2022 like and especially like coming from the homebrew background there's a lot of people in that situation that don't have the creative muscle and assets that you guys had um when you launched that you know you look at the brand it just feels janky you know and so like yeah. the fact that you guys launched with um such a strong uh brand aesthetic and the kind of you know visual storyline that weaves throughout all the individual beers and the brand itself and the tap room you need that like you know what i mean like unless you have a pre-built following you need to have a strong look and feel to stand out yeah yeah and i hate to use the uh the like the favorite word of the pandemic but it was a pivot yeah it was a that was a that was a pivot for us because we were planning on having the tap room and being draft sales primarily and crowlers to go. And, you know, the, the typical normal tap room kind of, kind of business plan Yeah, and, and then grow into the canning. But, uh, when tap rooms were still not allowed to be open, still mm-hmm. not allowed to be open. I was like, Oh, Oh boy. Okay. All right. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta figure this out. And luckily we had already been in discussions with Sean already. And, uh, so then we were just able to, to launch right in. Yeah. And yeah. Get it going. I think being uh, two engineers, we probably would have been pretty screwed on the uh, yeah, graphic right. design Super side screwed. of things. I, that was yeah. something we probably didn't really think through yeah. all the way when we were yeah. launching. So, I mean, yeah. the fact that Sean kind of landed in our lap and was willing to, to do it and um, really help us out with it was pretty awesome. And it's, he's continuing to do great work. I think even getting better than when we first launched. So it's been really cool to see the progress on yeah. that. Yeah. It's a game changer for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So speaking of the tap room, I'm, that aesthetic carries throughout like very bright, natural, airy, um, you know, it's driving down here, driving down Rosecrans, like auto dealer, tire place. <laughs> like I read that you got, this was a former it was. auto yeah. repair place. Uh, and I'm just curious because I've heard horror stories from other breweries opening up on those sites where there's soil issues yeah. and stuff where like you're having to excavate and repair a lot of the damage that was done from the previous um, usage. Is did you guys run into that here, or were you guys lucky? So luckily, we did not. Cool. Uh, we did do some due diligence prior to getting this space. We we also uh, have had the benefit. Uh, our landlord actually has a building of another much larger brewery. Oh, okay. So um, they were uh, extremely open to mm-hmm. having a brewery uh, in their building, which I, I can't say that for a lot of other landlords in, in LA. Right. You, you still get a lot, a ton of pushback as soon as you, as soon as they find out that you're going to be putting a brewery in or, or an alcohol use or whatever, mm-hmm. there's a lot of pushback for that. So, Luckily, we uh, we landed with a good landlord, and they had already done um, 
some prior uh, like soil investigation and stuff like that, and they oh, already found that it was it, we were we were okay. So um, we didn't have to go through that with the city of Lawndale. Uh, yeah, so Smart. so we got we got like granted we still had to put in a crap ton of new plumbing and and yeah. all that kind of stuff and. Um, so there's still a lot of, definitely a lot of, uh, concrete that was ripped out and, yeah. and uh, new stuff put in, but yeah, we yeah. didn't have, we didn't have to do with it, deal with the contaminated soil, which, which I've heard is awful. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I heard too. So when I saw auto body, I was like, Oh, <laughs> this could be uh, yeah. could have been one of those nightmare scenarios. Yeah, that, that can be a deal killer for right. a lot of, if they run into that yeah. kind of mid construction. Yeah. Usually it's you're awful. so far along that you just like yeah. have to eat it, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, Oh my God, we're delayed. Yeah. months and months yeah yeah crazy um i wanted to uh to dig a little bit back into your guys's homebrewing roots a little bit so you guys met uh as part of a homebrew club you guys were in the same club or yeah the, yeah. the meisters of the Bruniverse. okay so tell me about that tell me about that club yeah so uh it's a southern orange county club for the most part except for us two bozos <laughs> well i still live in orange county but yeah. not quite south orange not county, south, but. south orange county but um yeah so the i think the club started in like 2008 that's what i'm thinking yeah i don't i don't know exactly exactly you were there before i was yeah so sure. i um anyways club started in the you know mid to late 2000s um and uh it's generally been a fairly small club uh bryce and i met in i think 2013 time frame sounds about right or maybe like early early 2014 um and you know i was i got into the club because of one of my previous jobs the uh, my boss was one of the founders of the club uh larry nadeau Mm. and uh he uh he got me into, he was the one that got me into homebrewing. And, uh, so I started going to the club and driving down from West LA down to Aliso Viejo and wow. Laguna, Laguna Niguel just to be in the club. Yeah. There are a lot of great brewers. We've actually had, there was another brewer, uh, brewery owner that came out of that club too. Um, sure. Every, yeah. Orange County folks will know, but Valiant Brewing, uh-huh. um, which is now, now Green Cheek, which is now Green Cheek. Right. Uh, um, he was he was in the club and so we would have meetings at, at his brewery um and uh in 2013 whenever bryce first came to the meeting uh he was always bringing really great beers and great west coast ipas and and uh one of the actually the first beer that we canned with its own label was pump nog right yeah i, I think, think so. Right. i think so yeah and uh that was the first beer that i really remember of his because oh. i was like oh pumpkin really pumpkin beer i was like oh man and he cracked it open poured it out and i was like holy smokes this thing is delicious and it wasn't didn't have like the overly crazy overly spiced or sweet unattenuated uh beer profile it was really nice pumpkin porter and uh so we've actually brewed that brewed that here even even though it might be not bryce's that might not be bryce's favorite beer that we brew but (laughs) We got to brew it for historical sake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that uh, that moment where you're like, okay, I'm not excited about this style. Like, ugh, all right, and then like it's really good, and you're like, 
Shit, maybe I don't like the style still, but I like this one beer. Yes. Um, I love that those situations. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it kind of reminds me uh, of something I, I wanted to ask you anyway, so it's a good time to bring it up. Your um, your home brewing, the competition you want, the beer that you brewed it with bootleggers. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, shit, what's it? Oh, Knuckle Sandwich. Yeah, yeah Knuckle Sandwich, um, which... I. It's been years since I've had it, um, yeah. but I think it, it was like really hot, um, like probably yeah. seven years ago. Super, like that. super hot. I mean, I used to wait in line back at their OG brewery where they had like four tap handles. They yeah. rolled up their little garage door and they, they had a line going out the door down to the street um, every time they released Knuckle Sandwich. Um, I think they still brew that beer. I hope so. Um, I've, I've seen it around. I don't it's been a little while, but I've definitely seen it around and um doesn't sell quite like it used to, I don't think. But yeah. um, So t- tell me about that that beer and then tell me like what you did uh as part of your like riff on it. Yeah, sure. So that so that was a um I can't remember what they did the homebrew competition for, but it was a competition where they they brewed the wart for for knuckle sandwich, which um is basically just the extracted sugar. So you have sugar water essentially mm-hmm. uh no no hops in it or anything yet and then uh, i think we had about 25 or 30 homebrewers that showed up picked up you know five to ten gallons of the wort and brought it home what's the base style for knuckle sandwich that was a double ipa double IPA. double ipa yeah and it's you know knuckle, knuckle sandwich is more on the quote-unquote old school totally. ipa um a lot of, a lot like, of residual malt, right? sweetness yeah, yeah caramel malts in there pretty dark in color it looked almost like uh i mean it's like a red ale basically like from right. an appearance standpoint yeah so you know i'm like well a lot of people are probably just going to throw hops in it at home boil it and then ferment it and call it a day i was like why don't i switch it up i'm like it's already pretty sweet um not really my style ipa so i'm like i'll make a belgian dark strong mm-hmm. out of this beer so uh, <laughs> brought it home uh, i think i did like a extra two hour boil on it uh, to really caramelize it even some more i threw some like dark belgian candied syrup into it um trying to remember if i added brown sugar or not it might have just been the candied syrup um and then some kind of pretty simple maybe germanish style hops just a little spice character and fermented it with some abbey ale yeast um so i think it ended up being Oh gosh. Cause I think knuckle sandwich is 10%. So mm-hmm. I think mine was, I don't know, 11, maybe something like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, ended up winning that competition. Um, so they invited me down to brew, brew a full scale batch on their, on their seven barrel brew house. That's cool. And, uh, since it's a Belgian style and then with knuckle sandwich, we ended up my, my other good friend, Ryan, I got to give him credit. A little shout out. He, uh, he ended up coming with the name uh, Knuckle Van Dam, which uh, Jean-Claude Van Dam. Love it. He's, he's from Belgium. So <laughs> it fit. Um, and then, uh, yeah, they did a nice release at their tap room, uh, bottled it, and keg keg draft release as well. That's so, awesome. Yeah, that was, that was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is really fun. Um, yeah, I, I saw that uh, when I was doing a little research and I was like, I have to ask about knuckle sandwich. Cause that's just like, it was such a, a cult classic. And the fact that you like just completely spun it on its head. Yeah. That was really cool. And it's interesting hearing uh, German hops 
uh, you know, you go in that direction because it did have that kind of like old school IPA hop bill on it too, right? Like it was like Pacific Northwest stuff, right? Well, they, uh, yeah, Knuckle Sandwich originally. Yeah, yeah the original. Yeah. Yeah. They, they didn't add any of that into the, to the wart right, by right. the time I got it. But yeah, traditionally, I think yeah. so. So yeah. everyone's going and probably doing like their best version of what what it is and you're just like fuck it exactly like exactly. just keep going to zig <laughs> yeah. when everyone else is zagging got to go out of the box sometimes yeah so. exactly um so speaking of beer styles um this is i think in 2022 i mean i guess we've seen this for a while but just stylistically beer is changing a lot right and as a brewer you have and as a brewery owner, you have the decision to uh, lean into those styles, to dig your heels in and say, no, that's not us. Um, you know, I've seen some really cool stuff from you guys um, with some newer styles. I mean, we just drank this like sessionable Italian style pills, which I think is, you know, Italian pills is having a little bit of a, a thing right now. Um, so how do you think about hype how do you think about trends uh when it comes to the beer program here i mean i guess at least from my perspective i mean um i think it's definitely something worth paying attention to um it always makes it easier when it's a a style that you can kind of get behind and enjoy drinking you know like the italian pilsner that was kind of my mo already was you know light crisp drinkable beer um same thing with uh, like we we did a cold IPA uh, not too long ago. It's kind of same thing with that. Um, you know what? Five years ago, when hazies first started coming out, that was something I kind of dug my heels in a little bit. Yeah. Um, finally, ended up brewing one, and we do brew some hazies here, but it's not our main focus. Um, you know, some other trends like seltzers and things like that we haven't dabbled into yet. I don't know if we will or not. Um, Still in the air. Yeah, still up in the air. Not <laughs> not saying no, but it's not, you know, our primary focus, I'd say. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah I think even I like know. we're seeing this whole like fruited sour thing, slushy beer, um, really trending right now. And I'm really unsure of where that's gonna go. Um it does seem like a fleeting moment personally. But you guys do have like a fruited sour thing, but it's not like, oh, we're gonna lean into the this like thick pulpy thing that's that people are doing but we're gonna do it our way like balanced delicate like thoughtful at least that's how it seems from my perspective is that yeah you you know to go back to you know conversation we were having before is what's our identity i think yeah one of the big identities between bryce and i is the beer has to be well attenuated yeah right we we don't really like drinking sweet beer Mm mm-hmm and uh, so that's that's always a goal for whatever style we're putting out. Now you know I've actually I've had some really good thick sour fruited beer that has been well enough attenuated. Yeah. That um, you know I don't feel like I'm eating a Jolly Rancher, right? Um, so I I, th- I think that um, for following those trends, you, you know, I mean, like Bryce said, you definitely have to keep an eye out for it. And then, you know, do it your own way. Mm-hmm. So I think there's plenty of ground for somebody to brew a hazy IPA that has like a little bit of bitterness. Yeah. Um, or, you know, 
just slightly varying um, another style, right? Um, uh, but uh, it, you know, something that something that we've done a little bit um, is is our uh, is our Berliner Weiss esque kind of beers, mm-hmm. right? Um, I wouldn't say that they're a real true Berliner Weiss. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to take that name from uh, from the Germans, <laughs> right? Uh, but uh, you know, I think that they kind of fit that lighter, crisp style of a little bit of sourness and kind of fulfill that the need for some folks that are coming in for like maybe like a trendy seltzer or something like that instead. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's something that we kind of like to do is like take the trends, but then do them our own way. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I'm asking this because I know Mark's here, who's uh, who you know helps run your, your marketing content and social media, um, and you guys do a lot of fun stuff, and they do a lot of fun stuff with with your guys's beer releases and things like that. Yeah. Uh, how so? Does marketing influence product? Does product influence marketing? Where where do you guys see? that going especially like the collaborations the kind of like a little bit fun off the wall stuff where how do you think about the relationship between product and marketing i think mark wishes he had a little more influence on me sometimes probably (laughs) but uh, (laughs) you know um no i I don't know i think there's definitely some he does like peanut butter beer he does like peanut butter beer (laughs) which uh i'm not sure about that one yet but uh that's in the talks no um I don't know. I think there's definitely some influence there, but mostly kind of the other way around. I mean, uh, Mark and Cambria have been really good about taking what we do and, you know, having fun with it and putting their own twist on it mm-hmm. to, uh, to get it out into the world. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's, it's a good team effort. I feel like. That is a, that is a good point though. Like which, which one influences more, you know? Um, and I think the, in any organization, there's has to be a good tension between the two. Yeah. Otherwise, you have a product that's not led by consumer insight and, you know, that creative viability for the consumers. And then the other way around, you know, you end up having an authentic product and, right. you know, it's not driven by who you are and your own identity. So yeah, tension, right. I think, is important, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. You don't, you don't want to get kind of stuck in a rut, so to speak, yeah. like from a brewing perspective and just constantly doing the same thing over and over again. So, yeah, and, you know, you, know, you want to stay valid, valid, right? You yeah. know, like everybody's got to, you can, you can keep your core values, but everybody's got to be able to change according to how consumers are, are going and, and uh, just, what people's perspectives are at that time. And, and, uh, your marketing and advertising strategy helps, helps feed into that. Right. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, I'm going to, uh, I, I'm going to suggest something here. Oh, it's not <laughs> ready. Mar- it's not a marketing idea. It's something you guys are all going to love. Uh, maybe beer break Absolutely. real quick. I like and the then we'll of kind of cruise into the, the final stretch here. Yeah. Sounds yeah. Good. Cheers. <laughs> and I go for this. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Some bite. Yeah. yeah. A little bite in there. Yeah. It's nice. A little bitterness. This is the second yeah. time. Second time Bryce's brewed mine cradle. Yeah. I'm trying to think of it. I don't think I've had this one. Have you guys handed? Yeah. 
Yeah. Maybe you can. Can at both times. I think yeah. you might have. Mark might have got you the chasing ghosts. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Chasing. Yeah. I don't think yeah. you've that I know of have had mine created. Chasing ghosts from my memory had a leaner malt bill, right? Um, I kind of remember that being leaner, but this, this, one, one, this one's higher alcohol, right? This one's nine, uh, nine point something. Yeah. This one's. God, I think chasing was like eight. Chasing ghosts is like eight point six, I think, and then this is like nine point two, so it's got a little more of that kind of alcohol in it. Um, malt bills are fairly similar, but a little different as well. Yeah, I know. I should know this off the top of my head, but <laughs> you really should. God, I'm terrible, terrible brewer. <laughs> Swear it. No, I do know the hops at least. This is the Citra Mosaic and Galaxy. Oh yeah, and there you one. go. Winning combo. Cheater hops. Yeah, cheater hops. I swear. Can't go wrong Come with on, those. Man. What was Chasing Ghosts? Oh, Chasing Ghosts is Do you remember? Mosaic, Simcoe, and there's a third one in there that I'm not I'm forgetting Yukonaut, right now. It? No, it's not Yukonot. We use Yukonot in our our home range, which is our one of our single IPAs. Mm. This uh, is solid beer, man. This is really good. Thanks. That's yeah, uh, I'm looking it up. See my kind of that drier. Little little sweetness in there still, but yeah. Not not uh, super thick and heavy. Well, I mean, it's got that big bitterness that just yeah. I think overpowers whatever sweetness is in there to yeah. really balance out. You know, it's nice. Yeah, cause, you know, no no crystal malts or anything in here, but you know, the alcohol does add some sweetness as yeah. well. So definitely need some bitterness in there to to balance it out. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I like yeah. beers like this. I was right. Were you right? I was right. Is there you cannot? Yeah. Look at that. You cannot mosaic Simcoe because I, I thought that Chasing Ghost was basically a scaled up version of Home Range. It's like a doubled. Yeah. Double version of Home right. Range. Yeah, you're right. And Columbus. He knows, he knows more than <laughs> Yeah. I just have the interwebs right here. Right here in the interwebs. That's, that's, what told, that's what told me. Yeah, a little Columbus for bittering. Yeah, Columbus for bittering. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, this is great. Um, So I feel like you mentioned it earlier, like West Coast has like a, a, a place, a dedicated place in the beer program here. Like, and we talk about a lot of different styles and you guys doing a lot of different things. I feel like, you know, whether it's, you know, um, something that's more sessionable or scaled up to something like this double or what you said's in the tanks for the anniversary. Triple IPA. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. What, where, yeah. where do the roots of, of West Coast IPA come from for you? Like, what was the the beer that brought you on? Oh, man. I mean, that, that probably goes way back to maybe not when I first first got into craft beer, but shortly after. Um, I think probably a, a lot of us kind of our age could could nod a, nod a hat to Sierra Nevada. Yeah. Um, that definitely played a huge role. Um, Desch- Deschutes was another big one for me and Firestone as well. Hmm. Um, those are probably my top three kind of intro craft beer. And then more so recently with, with the changing styles, um, kind of going more with, uh, so to speak, California IPA or San Diego IPA, where basically the crystal malt is non-existent. Right. Um, you know, that could be, you know, green cheek, North Park down in San Diego, um, draw a lot of inspiration from those guys. Um, I don't know. There, there's so many good brewers out there these these, these yeah. days doing IPAs. Yeah, totally. What, yeah. So how yeah. do you feel about um, how West Coast IPA is kind of evolving? Uh, kind of, you know, the Green Cheek and North Park being 
some of the people that are pushing that uh, evolution. But um, I feel like West Coast IPA like has had to evolve from a bitter beverage, mm-hmm. you know, like just a bitter experience um, to something that is a little bit more balanced and more approachable. How do you, how are you thinking about that in the beers that you're putting out and where do you want it to go? Where do you, where do you feel like you're pushing yourself in that direction? Yeah, I, I think that's something that, you know, at Farfield as a whole, we're still trying to kind of see which direction that wants to go. Um, you know, cause kind of the, the mid two thousands IPA was definitely bitter kind of in your face hits you with that punch. And then, more so recently, as I mentioned, like the California style IPA, if you want to call it, mm-hmm. is, um, you know, strays away from that bittering addition. And then it's all kind of focused on the late hop uh, aroma flavor. Um, so, yeah, I'm still trying to feel that out. I mean, I, I really like what each of those has to offer. So it's probably something that we're going to maybe bounce back and forth between. Yeah. Um, so kind of that more... California-ish IPA is something that I don't think we've totally done here at Farfield yet, but is definitely something on my list to to try to go that direction and yeah, see how that turns out. Mm-hmm. How how do you uh, think about the other side where we're and, and you mentioned earlier hazies that start creeping closer towards West Coast that have a little bit of bitterness that have less residual sweetness? Um, are you get, are you playing around there? Like I feel like that's what we're seeing happen is this like middle ground between the two and west coast ipas are starting to move that way hazies um there's a there's a market for some that are in there and i guess seller makers do it and and highland park doing like the hazy west coast thing so what are your thoughts on on that spectrum on the hazy side are you pushing uh different buttons there or thinking about what to do yeah i think that's that's probably something i brought here from the get-go um that was kind of my my original take on a hazy, you know, five, six years ago when I, when I first caved and brewed one at home, um, uh, did that for, I think one of the Southern California homebrew festivals. Um, but mine have always had that kind of bitter backbone to it. You mm-hmm. know, not, not as bitter as the West coast IPAs, but definitely a noticeable bitterness to kind of, you know, clean your palate of that. You know, some of them can get really chalky thick and heavy mm-hmm. which i don't mm-hmm. care for personally oh, overly so, juicy and yeah too, right so yeah i understand like i and i really love kind of that really fruit forward character you get from the hazy ipas but i also think there's a balance there um so that's that's something um i haven't really i'd say done one that's uh quote unquote uh what do they call them like a bi-coastal kind of ipa i haven't gone quite that direction yet i don't think but uh yeah i've always i've always had that kind of bitter backbone to the hazy as well yeah i mean i think i think west coast's ipas are like what you're saying california ipas have really been honestly benefited from the haze craze yeah because absolutely yeah their aroma is popping in all those beers way more than it used to yeah Mm -hmm. people are looking at hops in like such a different light now and just like the different techniques and temperatures and you know how to use them and you know growers are coming out with with different products as well yeah you know, all the, all the i mean it's hard to keep cryo up with all. yeah it is with yeah. all the new varieties the that thiols, are coming out yeah yeah 
And the, yeah, not even to mention the cryo stuff. Yeah. Because, yeah, you know, any variety could be done in cryo. And so then you've got... On the east side, what they're, what they're able to do on the east side from a biotransformation yeah. perspective. Like, it's just... It's really cool to see, like, where it's gone, where the hops as an ingredient were, like... It was either bittering or aroma. And now the lines between that are, like, blurred. And when you're adding them... Is like changes the entire spectrum. It's yep. just so cool. And then now the yeast that's that's uh, that's created to help with these aid these processes is really exciting. As a one year old brewery that might not have the purchasing power of an established brewery, or you know, in, in this space, like how are you feeling about your ability to play and experiment with stuff? I mean, and obviously budget is probably a big thing to think about too. Is there um, more you want to do? Are you thinking about what's next from an ingredient and process standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I I think the brewer talking there, there's always something else I want to do. Yeah, or you know, kind of, yeah. yeah, that that next thing you want to try. Um, obviously, budget's a concern, um, but yeah, there, there's just so many good products out there. Um, like the triple IPA I just brewed. Uh, this past week, um, I think that was our first first beer that we've kind of experimented with some cryo hops. Oh, cool! In there, um, so I'm really looking forward to how that beer is going to turn out. Um, you know, you get a lot of benefits to that. You know, extra aromatics, and then just kind of on a cost saving standpoint too. I mean, they're more expensive up front, but you you can also get better better yield yeah. on the beer because uh, you're having to use less less hops, less of that vegetal matter um yeah less waste yeah less waste yeah and then on the yeast side um you know there is a lot of interesting things that are coming out we haven't messed with any of um the new kind of like genetically modified yeasts um at all um and even with our kettle souring process that we do we're just doing like a you know normal um lactobacillus culture kind of process yeah. it's not that like as quick well. sour like three hour <laughs> no 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 it's, it's nothing nothing that <laughs> crazy. Things are crazy now yeah, yeah. And, you know we haven't used any of the uh lactic acid producing yeasts either um so uh so you know there's 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 tons of different things but we have done some kind of fun things we've we've got um we've got a four four barrels i believive of uh of a saison ish uh, beer that uh, we fermented with a um, a, uh, a yeast from the Yeast Bay, uh, which is now actually out of Portland. It's kind of interesting; they're not in San Francisco anymore. <laughs> but um, they uh, they they got a yeast that was forged. Um, it was actually you know found in the wild, and and uh, people are using it for saisonish kind of beers. Um, so we've got some, and then we've got some other open mixed fermentation stuff going on. Uh, as well and uh but uh yeah so many different knobs and parameters mm-hmm. to play with it's, yeah it's uh it's it's pretty crazy it's crazy and we haven't even talked about water yet either i mean there's there's yeah. even oh, yeah. stuff that you can do with your water yeah. that that uh can completely change the profile i want to do here. like an entire show just on water like <laughs> yeah. and, and and minerals you know yeah. like just that yeah. stuff i'm not a brewer so I'll, like i don't have hands-on experience but hearing about the possibilities of what happens when you mess with that um, and what happens when you don't or, and, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff is just, uh, 
it's super interesting, especially here in Southern California, where like you you have to have RO to like yeah. produce the level of quality that uh, the standard is here locally from some of these breweries. So um, yeah, I love that. So from a, a home brewer perspective, and uh, you know. <clears throat> You get your hands on it's small batch stuff. You get in your your hands on on what you can pick up. Um, I feel like there's like the home brewer who's like constantly just like the mad scientist who's um, using different products that's brewing different recipes and kind of like all over the place. And then there's the home brewer who <laughs> is uh, repeating the same recipes over, but like tweaking the little minutia and trying to dial in this beer that's like their baby, right? Yeah. That like they've taken from year one to year five brewing the same beer, and now it's like on a permanent handle in their in their kegerator, right? Yeah. So where do you guys fall on that spectrum? Because it's a wide spectrum, but where do you guys yeah. see yourself? I think you just described both of us. Really? Uh, yeah. One statement. Um, <laughs> James is definitely, I'd say, more on the uh, let's try every single new yeah, thing that's out there. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. never brew the same beer more than like two yeah. times. <laughs> I mean, I, I like brewing different beers too. But I, I definitely had a handful of beers that I brew at home yeah. you know, multiple times and definitely made kind of some small tweaks. Um and specifically like West Coast IPA, you know, I, I think I brewed one probably five times before I came up with like the water profile that I was really happy with. Yeah. Um, kept everything else the same, just tweaked the water. And uh, it's pretty amazing, you know, just what that one tweak can do for your beer. Um, it's yeah. like, yeah, when we were getting launched, like James always had some issues, I'll say, with his West Coast IPA, I think, as a home brewer. Um, just some really harsh bitterness oh, yeah, yeah. issues. Not that the it's all about stuff the water. was bad, but yeah. Oh, well, it's probably your water. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I filled up one time that yeah, Hawthorne he, water. Yeah, he gave me a keg of like Hawthorne water, and I brought it back to my place in Orange <laughs> County and brewed the beer with it. And sure as hell, it turned out just like this super astringent bitterness. Yeah. Um, so that was a that was a drain pour. So uh, <laughs> definitely got the RO set up here at the brewery to yeah. to to cut some of that out. Super what was it high like scaling up for you? Um, that was, that was a nerve wracking process, but yeah. I, I feel like I I probably overthought it. Um, I'll answer from the owner perspective. I think he did maybe a I'll let awesome James job. take this. Yeah, <laughs> awesome job. I mean, we we did however many handful of pilot batches. Just to understand, yeah, on the home processes scale. processes from the home brewing scale, but it was only like a scale up from five gallons or ten gallons up to a barrel, right? And then you're going up to seven barrels, and you got a lot of different efficiency issues that you're looking at with with uh, hops and stuff, and you know, all the beer that we had in the in the tap room when we opened was batch one through eight. So yeah, yeah. he wasn't able to do any kind yeah, of no, no tweaking, no, any kind of rebrews. Everything was, was right off, hot off the press and, uh, you know, pretty much nailed it on every single one. I think that he probably has, a, I mean, there's a, been a couple of recipes that he's gone back and tweaked a little bit, of course, especially yeah, my, I'd say my, my biggest thing that I noticed was the, uh, the bitterness on all the beers was too, too bitter. Yeah. Um, um, as much as I like bitterness, it was too bitter uh, compared to the stuff I had brewed at home. So, you know, that that was a simple 
fix in the beer software of adjusting the uh, hop utilization mm-hmm. is you know going from five gallons to 250 gallons um you got to increase that efficiency yeah um so you actually use less less hops per per gallon of beer uh to extract the same amount of bitterness so that, that was kind of like my one you know fix i'd say really yeah other than that i, w- I was but yeah pretty like pleased es- ester profile no kind of weird fermentation issues at all everything was super clean so yeah that was really the only thank goodness that was the only tweak that (laughs) the margin for error there's no margin for error we're opening yeah i was sweating bullets for sure we need yeah Yeah, exactly yeah yeah Yeah, that's cool that's great to hear um hopefully it you know i love uh the homebrew to pro brewer story when it goes right and um you know hopefully it helps inspire other home brewers to um thoughtfully and intentionally take that leap um because i think those two uh words are important very, in that process very important. um you know just seeing operations that don't make it or operations that just uh i wish could you know had a better shot right um so anyways we're approaching year one anniversary um as we're sitting here what is it july 14th uh tell me about the anniversary event yeah so it's gonna be um the 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 main the main event is gonna be on sunday okay um, Sunday, July, July 31st. Okay. So this will be out before then. So people, yeah. if you're listening and right it's before on. then you show uh, up. <laughs> uh, so the main event is going to be on Sunday. Um, we're going to have a ticketed early access, uh, event that, um, uh, part of the ticket is going to be like, uh, uh, a t-shirt that you get to custom tie dye. Oh, cool. Um, anniversary glass, uh, one a, a choice of uh, one of our uh, first anniversary bourbon barrel aged imperial stout Ooh. bottles, which is pretty exciting. It's that's first, new. Yeah, it's our first barrel aged beer that we're releasing. We're pretty stoked on that one. Um, or or a four pack of any one of our other beers that we have out. But we, we're also going to be releasing our uh, triple IPA um, that weekend too. It's that's going to be pretty good. It's it's already tasting really nice. That's exciting. And it's, and it's up there. It's what? Yeah, it's uh, just over 11%. Just over Ooh. 11%. Yeah. Firmly in uh, triple territory. Firmly, Firm, yes. Firmly in triple territory. Uh, and uh, and then we're going to have some, some uh, we're going to have a fun um, dark matter variant on on draft that you can uh, get access to, which is going to be, it's only going to probably won't be one five-gallon keg. So Dark Matter is what? Dark Matter is our uh, Imperial style. Oh, that's the, yeah. the bottled beer. So, that, so yeah. no, it's, that's the difference. Sorry. Okay. The, the bottled beer is called Strange Addiction. Got it. And that one's uh, barrel-aged in a few FEW um, spirits barrel, uh, bourbon barrel. They're out of, uh, outside of Chicago. Cool. I don't know if they're in Evanston or not, but. Um, and dark matter is an imperial stout that's aged on coffee and vanilla. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, so then we're going to, we're, we've got a special variant that we, we have of dark matter for, Exciting. for that, uh, for that weekend. Nice. And, uh, we're going to have like a, t- where, uh, we've got a bunch of different vendors. We've got three different food vendors that we've got. Mint burger is going to be here. 
Just Love Creamery is going to be here. Los Homies uh, Hot Dogs are going to be here. And Mark, I'm forgetting one more. I don't remember the other one, but <laughs> Just Love is doing special ice yeah. cream blends. That's oh, right. Cool. Yeah, so Just Love is going to be using um, Dark Matter for, for one of their oh, that's uh, cool. ice creams. And it's uh, the... Uh, the early the early test samples were quite delicious. So, yep. yeah, yeah. Exciting um, stuff. And we're gonna have DJ, and it sh- should be a fun time. Really that's good super time. fun. Really yeah, good time. That's really cool. Um, yeah, we're here on uh, Thursday in like the middle of the day, and the place is empty. It looks great, but I can only imagine what it's like with vendors and people and just like staff here and beer flowing um yeah absolutely i mean last night it was really popping so yeah i can was, only imagine awesome. that, like I, I, it's got a super cool vibe here you guys know that it's just just <laughs> the, the beer's awesome the vibe here uh just feels like really cool so um excited for you guys about that anniversary party sounds like a really fun time um so to kind of close things out you know a little bit of reflection for you and a little bit of um maybe prediction or forward thinking for you. So I want to, I want to ask you what can people expect to change for Farfield in this year two? And what is something or some things that will remain the same? What are the, what's the constant and what are you looking forward to the evolution for? All right. Uh, So (laughs) the one constant I would say is a selection for any, for anybody. Yeah. You know, when we, we absolutely love all of our, all of our neighbors around here and we get people from, we get people from West LA, uh, Gardena, um, you know, Hawthorne, Long Beach, we get people from all over the place Yeah, and people love different kinds of beer. So we're always going to have a good variety, a good variety here. Um, I think one of the things that will change um, from my perspective is that we will be having some, some barrel aged sour beers cool on draft. So that's, and, and, uh, available in bottles. So that's going to be rolling out in year in this, uh, in the second year of Farfield. Awesome. Yeah. And is, are there changes that you are making to facility? Like how do you, so we're scaling production. Okay. Uh, so we're getting a couple new vessels here, um, in the next month. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we're already starting to distribute a little bit more, so you should be able to see, you know, more of our beer on accounts across LA County and, uh, in Orange County. Nice. For the sour beer, um, where do you plan on housing that? Yeah. Housing that. So sour beer is, is pretty much going to be just tap room, tap room only. So it'll be. It'll be on draft, and then we'll also have uh, bottles to go nice. as well. Awesome! Yeah, and everything's going to be in a 500 milliliter bottle. Cool. That's that's our that's our goal because we feel like that's that's big enough that one you know or small enough that one person can yeah. uh, can have it, and then you know also large enough that two people can share it. Yeah. I mean, we all or have two, plenty of 750s sitting in the <laughs> cellar that yeah, exactly. you're waiting for that right time. Yeah. yeah. Or they're way past their prime <laughs> so, already. So that's, that's the other thing that we really want to make, make sure is like, yeah, you can age it in your, in your fridge if you want to. But you're right. All of us have had beer that has aged too long mm-hmm. in our refrigerators. I mean, I think I had a uh, Trey Fontaine beer 
that was in my fridge for like eight years or something like that. Yeah. That was unfortunately too long. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, Heartbreaking. Exactly. So, so that's, that's, um, part of the focus of our sour beer and barrel aged, uh, program is that those bottles are, you know, we've, we've decided to release them at that time because we think that they're prime. Yeah. They're ready. Awesome. Yeah. Any thoughts for you on, uh, on the, on the brewing side and the beer side, what is something that, that people will always expect out of what you're doing? And then what's something that you are thinking is going to be new, fresh revamped for year two? Yeah. I mean, I think James touched on it a little bit. Um, now that we're kind of getting to and passing year one, um, really looking forward to, to getting a couple more tanks in the brew house to, uh, to get some more flexibility um, you know, I feel like we've done a good job of doing, doing a, a mixed bag of beers on tap. I mean, we have 20 taps and they're pretty regularly, you know, in the 15 plus beers on tap here. Mm-hmm. So I've been really happy with that. Um, so I think year two is going to kind of be even more of that, um, a little more experimentation, hopefully. And then, um, also getting some, some beer, beer out a little, beyond our hyper hyper local focus um down into orange county and things like that which will be really fun yeah um, i have a lot of friends and family that are down that way so including myself we do like our <laughs> selfishly county. but uh, yeah beer wise i mean i don't know sky's sky's the limit so more yeah. loggers yeah more loggers for sure i like to hear that yeah, yeah that's music to my ears Good stuff, guys. I'm really excited for you. Um, Congrats on the journey of year one. And uh, yeah, again, sky's the limit. So excited to see what you guys come up with for year two and seeing how things evolve. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. We're we're ready. Awesome. This was super fun. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, definitely. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Well, there you have it. Another great episode of the Hop Talk podcast. Thanks to James and Bryce for coming on the pod and sharing some great beers with me. If you're listening before July 31st, make sure you hit up Farfield for their anniversary party. And if not, just check out their tap room and try their beers anytime. I promise you, it will be worth it. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, leave a review, and sign up for our email newsletter at hopped.com slash subscribe where we send you five things we're excited about in craft beer every single Friday. That's it. We'll see you soon. Cheers.